Hi folks, I'm Mike Hancock and welcome to today's session on effective partnerships. Let's just uh, jump straight in now and we are going to basically get underway. So as we get underway today, I think I wanted to look and I'm going to give a case study on an effective partnership so that everybody here will also understand that there are different types of partnerships as well. So just kicking up the presentation for today. Okay, so here we go. I want to focus initially on how to establish the right partners and why partner. And this comes down to a formula which many of you on this call know, and that is success in anything um, equals the amount of value something has and multiplied by the way in which we leverage that value. And so, you know, everybody here and everybody on this call has immense amounts of value and we don't doubt that for an instant. But strangely enough, what's happened through the COVID in the last couple of years is, you know, as people's businesses have been a little bit more threatened than before, and as they've had to go in and do things differently, um, most people have gone, oh, gee, how do I actually um, improve my business in, in this environment? And most of them are adding more value, which doesn't make any sense because the way in which you add value to an existing business already has value is you generally packaging more stuff in, giving more away. Um, you're generally reducing your prices rather than increasing your prices. You're discounting, you're two for oneing. You're, all this sort of stuff is value add. But it actually doesn't make any difference because effectively, you know, with COVID or anything else going on in the marketplace, it hasn't diminished your value unless a competitor has come in and doing something so much better than you and doing it differently and, and their value is so much more than you. So the problem is never really value. The problem is leverage. And leverage is, there's only two ways in which you can leverage. One is to magnify and the other way is to multiply. So magnification strategy is all about branding, making yourself bigger than, than Texas, positioning, you know, writing a book and getting that out there, getting on breakfast television, um, you know, having your face in the papers, magazines, et cetera. That's a leverage strategy, which is a magnification strategy. We're literally taking you or your business and just making it feel bigger. The other one is a multiplication strategy. And that multiplication strategy is really creating more of you. So typically, you know, if you look at McDonald's or a real estate company, there's branches of those on every corner. That's a multiplication strategy. Um, you know, even movie theaters, franchises, licenses, all of those types of things are multiplication strategies. Um, if you build a sales team and you've got 10 people out there selling your, your products and services, that's a multiplication strategy rather than just having you doing them. But one of the most effective ways to multiply your business is actually through effective partnerships. And they're really different types of partnerships. So for instance, one of the, the obvious ones is that you can bring a business partner into your business. So instead of it just being you, you can have a partner who's got different skills than you, just that like Landy and I have very, very different skills. She's the extrovert, I'm the introvert, and so on and so forth. So that's one way. And you may not want to obviously bring a business partner in or do something like that. Um, you may want to do it a different way. So another way is a strategic alliance. And a strategic alliance is really where you have an association with somebody who generally is a... Um, an ambassador for you. They may not expect any money from that, 
but they're generally somebody who's promoting you in some way or that you have or they're promoting some of your products and services and it could be if they're doing it regularly it could be more of what we'd call an affiliate relationship that's another way to partner so you know we have different companies that are affiliates for us some of you on this call are affiliates we call you literally ambassadors because we don't like the word affiliate it doesn't resonate with us um, but the, your people who are making money out of promoting us and then the other one is a joint venture partner and a joint venture partner comes together and does some sort of venture together and there's a lot of these happening around the world at the moment and they're generally product releases or product launches where something is launched. I've just literally been approached to do one this morning. I'm just uh, organizing, just before I jumped on this call, a time where I can talk to my business partner, joint venture partner, who is based in Puerto Rico. And uh, so that we can work out a diary time to get together to talk about this joint venture that we're going to do. We normally do one a year with this guy. So, uh, and we've been doing it for certain times. So I want you to understand firstly that in getting any business to the next level, don't just look at how you can improve your product, how you can improve your service, how you can add more things in. That's just increasing value. And you know this is a very, very simple um, equation, even for the non-mass people. You know, if we had, if we gave something a value out of ten, there wouldn't be a person on this call who doesn't at least have a value for their clients of a six out of ten for many of you up to an eight out of 10. So it's pretty hard to improve from an eight to a nine. It's pretty hard to improve from a six to an eight. You might get to a seven if you work really hard. But if we look at leverage, and I know this because I ask this question with every new client we onboard, as I say, tell me who your top five strategic partners, joint venture partners are. Most people don't have one. And so smart people normally have a couple I rarely find anybody who can give me five. So that means that for most of you listening to this call or watching the replay, your leverage is probably about a two or three out of 10. So, you know, if your value is even sort of to the lower end a six, you might be able to get it to a seven in the next 12 months, but I'm sure you can get your leverage from a two to a four. So six twos are 12 and six fours are 24. So if you just manage to improve your leverage somewhat, you can literally double the success of your business. So that's why this stuff is really, really important rather than looking to keep constantly stacking value in. And I wanted to, I'm using certain photos in, in this as well, just to remind me to tell you certain stories. So Dustin's the guy standing next to me, Dustin Matthews. He'll be on a call with us at some stage this year. Uh, he's based in um, in in uh, St. Petersburg in Florida, although his business uh, was in San Diego. And uh, this is Landy and I in San Diego in January last year, just before COVID, with him and some members of his team. And uh, he's one of our marketing partners, and he is also on the board of our company. So, um, you know, we have a very strong relationship, close personal friend of Landy's and mine. You know, we're, we're, we're very intimately friends as well as being business partners. And quite literally, I can't remember the names of his team there because we just work with him and they do stuff for us. So, you know, we literally can look at this and say, here is an extended team that we have. And if I, if I put my, if I quickly looked at the photos, I could remember the names, but you know, there's a team and group of people that are working for us while we're sleeping 
through the relationship that we have with Dustin. That's why partnership is so important. And because they're American based, we're literally sleeping as they're, as they're working. So let's jump into this and have a look at the steps to partnership. So firstly, when you take on board any new partner, um, whether it be a strategic partner, joint venture partner, affiliate, or a business partner, just remember this, not everything is money. In fact, um, we're doing a new partnership at the moment. I've just been looking at the legal agreements um, for that literally this morning um, as well. Uh, we're minor partners in this venture. Landy and I own 26% of the share capital between us. But realistically, the, the major shareholder in this, um, whose business we're jumping into to support and take to the next level, um, he's really not concerned about the money at all. As a matter of fact, the, you know, he was really trying to talk down his shareholding. We talked him up into being the major shareholder because he's going to do most of the work. So we don't want that coming back to us. But not everything is about money. In fact, I rarely find that it is about money. So keep that in mind that if you're going in to pitch a potential partnership and you're pitching them on a finance or money-based thing, that you may be just missing the mark totally. A lot of it is about relationship. A lot of it is about what you can do for them. A lot of it is about personal and self-development for them. A lot of it is about recognition for them. So let's go to how to approach them, the right timing, and then, and then jumping into to, you know, the steps to doing this. So firstly is how to approach them. Believe it or not, some of your best partners are going to sit in your existing clients, your existing friends, and your existing connections. And if not, they're going to exist one step removed from that. And the reason why is because there's a, a universal law. Everybody knows about um, you know, uh, the law of attraction, but this is sort of a little bit the law of attraction, but it's another universal law, one that I've taught for many, many years. It's the law of three steps removed. And what that means is that your wealth and success is not going to be created by your immediate network. It's not going to be created by who they introduce you to, but it's going to be created by the, the third step. And if I look at my life, this has definitely been the case. So, I mean, I can relate everything that I'm doing now um, to Lisa Dudson, who's also one of our board members and a Circle of Excellence member, um, to her inviting me to uh, an event in 2003 when I was running my property businesses and had a construction company. So everything I'm doing now is because she rang me up one day and said, hey, want to go to this event? And I said, what's it about? She said, I don't really know. Some guy's coming from overseas, but it looked interesting. I said, sure, I'm not doing anything. I'll go with you. And so that was the first step. And through that person that I met at that event, who was the speaker at that event, he opened his network to me. And through that network, I've literally created everything that I've got in my world today, including Landy, my partner as well, has been created through that one decision. So when you're doing this, don't get too sort of, um, sort of worried about you know, that first step about your existing network, because it's probably gonna be the relationships that you have with the people around them, those partners that are then gonna introduce the clients to you and the relationships that are actually gonna create all your wealth. So what you wanna look at is you wanna look at the, the, the really the avatar of the partner. And this is a really important thing. I mean, um, I did, a, I did a, a, a webinar probably a year ago 
with uh, with all of you guys where I literally showed you the picture of um, people that we're looking to bring on as our licensees. I literally said, here is the picture of our licensees that I'm going to be looking for at the moment. And if I show, if I put that picture next to our two most recent licensees in our business, you would think the three of them are brothers. So, you know, one could say it's intentionalizing it and things like this, but for me, it's very getting very, very clear on who you want to partner with. And in this case, the partner is a licensee partner. So they're very heavily, they literally are a business partner. But if you don't have that picture of them, if you don't have that avatar, if you don't know who they are, then you'll never actually recognize them even in your own list or in your own database. Then how to approach them. Literally just have a coffee with them or have a virtual chat with them and just say to them, hey, listen, I've got an idea. I want to run this past you. And then just pick that up. And I wanted to use this one as an example because we had a brand called um, Entrepreneur X Factor. Some of you, uh, I see Ian's joined the call. Hi, Ian. Um, so, you know, in Entrepreneur X Factor, we've launched two books from it, the original Entrepreneur X Factor book, um, which came out in 2015, and the updated book, which came out in 2020, of which Ian was one of the participants um, of that book. Now, Entrepreneur X Factor started as a competition where I went with my business partner at the time to 20 plus countries, three years in a row, and literally ran a competition called Entrepreneur X Factor. It's actually how Landy and I met. She won the South African Entrepreneur X Factor. So great fringe benefits for, for her and for me in that competition. But then, um, you know, we took some time off in 2015, 2016. And so therefore Entrepreneur X Factor became a sort of thing that was just a book and it was out there and I'd sort of done it, I'd moved on. And then in 2017, we were talking to Ann Tam. This is Ann with us in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And she was saying she really liked Entrepreneur X Factor. She thought it was really great competition. Um, you know, she was part of it in the Malaysian thing. And she asked us when we're going to do it again. We said, literally, we're too busy. Um, but we said, listen, you have schools. Why don't we do a Young Entrepreneur X Factor? So Young Entrepreneur X Factor literally came up with the idea then. And now we have a full-time team in Malaysia of three people plus Anne, who manages that team, who runs Young Entrepreneur X Factor every year. And when I say full-time, it is what they do for literally six months of the year, three people full-time. All Landy and I do is we're the judges, we're two of five judges on it, and license the brand office. Um, so she's our business partner. It's a strategic alliance there. So literally it started over a lunch in Malaysia where we just talked about some things that we were doing she got excited. She said, I could do this. We said, we'd love to do. What do you need from us? I don't need anything. I just need some intellectual property. We created a license agreement. It went across, signed, sealed, delivered, um, done. She's running with it. The competition's running again in August this year. You can go and have a look at the website. Uh, I think it's yexf.com or something like that. If you Google Young Entrepreneur X Factor, you'll see it. I looked at it the other day. It's a fabulous website. There is now um, 40, I think, different mentors involved this year. In fact, Bruce, I know you're on the call here. You're a mentor last year. I'm not sure if you're a mentor this year for that. So how to approach people? Just have conversations. What's the right timing for approaching people? Well, 
the right timing is when you see that people are a little bit lost and a little bit looking for the next thing or a little bit bored in what they're doing. So, or somebody like Anne who just loves new ideas and has a, some amazing capacity to just embrace new ideas and get them happening. So if you're establishing an avatar, step one, establish the avatar. Step two, have a coffee with them. Step three, what's the timing? Or this is really step two, what's the timing of that? You know, it may not be now. It might not be ready now. Like I wouldn't be talking to anybody about partnerships now before Easter. Um, unless you're in, you know, a Hindu world or a Muslim world or something like that, then it's a different story. Um, but, you know, if you're in fundamentally the, the Christian part of humanity, now people are thinking about Easter, they're on their holidays, et cetera, et cetera. But they're thinking during Easter. So they're thinking, am I happy? What else could I do this year to make money? Um, should I be partnering with somebody? How can I raise my brand? They're, they're thinking all of these questions. So a great time to actually approach people is immediately after Easter to set up meetings between sort of Easter and the end of April. That is great timing to get into new partnerships with people because they'll have been thinking about this. They've been through the first quarter of the year, the year's taking shape. It's either working or not working for them. So in that area, they're going to be much more open-minded in that month after Easter than probably any other month in the year, with the exception of maybe early February um, when people go back to work and they're open to things. So then what do you do? How do you actually get this partnership, this strategic alliance to become effective? And that's the key word here because... You know, most of us have had many partnerships and alliances and most of them haven't been effective. So the key word is to get them effective. The first thing we do is we go on a date. So what does a date look like? Well, I'm going to share an exact, um, an exact process as a case study here. So for instance, um, but I want to give you another one without giving this away because the um, the contract that I've got in front of me at the moment is a very significant business that many of you on this call will be aware of. So, um, so I don't want to give this one away yet because we are having an official launch for this late May. So, but in this one, we literally said to the two other business partners that we're now in, uh, moving into business with in this new um, basically company, which is actually their old company, but totally rebranded and taken globally. Um, we actually said to them, listen, why don't we go on a date first? Let's have a look at your clients, your business and your infrastructure before we decide if this is something we actually want to get involved in. So we got them to do some work for us. And then we actually were on a couple of events that they were organizing. We were guests there. We got to meet their clients. We got to meet their staff. Um, they've got quite an extensive staff already these two people, we got to understand how they work. We got to see um, the dirty underwear that they have through uh, doing this twice. So we we're able to say to them, guys, you do this really well. This is an absolute mess and this is okay. Okay. And they went, yeah, you're right, etc." But none of that was a problem for us. So now we wanted to say, well, let's go to an engagement. So what does an engagement mean? Let's do a deal for a finite point period of time. So we made this deal a project. So we did a project together. And that project is um, essentially uh, finished last week. So some of you will have seen this in Johannesburg last week. You'll see some photos. That was part of those photos were a project that we did with this group last week. 
And that project um, was incredibly successful. So our engagement was incredibly successful. So then we um, had a one day strategy session with them last week after that, where we revisited the project. We said, okay, we wanna get married now, have your lawyer draw up the contracts. So today I have the contracts in front of me. Um, and so that's gonna enable us to step into a business that's um, gonna go global. Uh, we, you know, it could be worth you know, eight figures with inside of five years um, based on what it is now. So, and we'll own 26% of the shares. So, so we're very, very happy with that deal and we can only bring our expertise to it. And part of it was we're only bringing our expertise. We're very clear on what we do and what we don't do, which was fantastic because our number one partner in this actually wants to do all the things that we don't want to do. So, um, so it's great. And then the second partner is an incredible project manager. So um, he'll keep everybody sort of short up with that. So date them, engage them and marriage. Think of this just like you'd think of any relationship. Um, don't pretend you're Britney Spears and meet somebody and then get married the next day at some small church in Las Vegas. I think that was Justin Timberlake. So he probably, she probably knew him, but don't just do it on a whim. Right, let's move on. So how do you choose your partners and alliances? So basically somebody already has your audience. Somebody actually already has the audience that you wanna have. So this is where research comes into it. So this is, this is Davin Michaels um, and his, his wife, Liz, and uh, his dog, Penny, okay? And this is us having dinner with them in Las Vegas a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, obviously. Now, Davin runs a company called 123 Employee. They live, uh, they live in the Caribbean, but uh, they, they have this company which is based out of the Philippines. Some of you know about it because I have talked about it in other webinars. And that, that company literally has 600 staff that will do anything that you want for you. So it's an outsourcing company. How Davin drives traffic to that company, he doesn't run the company as a business partner that actually is based in Manila that runs the company. He is the speaker. He fronts the company. He drives traffic to that company by his ability to use his voice. In fact, I've just been chatting with him this morning on Facebook. So we know that Davin has an audience of basically several hundred thousand um, small businesses, people just like you and just like us. So because of that, it's the perfect audience for us to um, markets and products and services into. So we have a standing relationship with Davin that we do a joint venture once a year. He promotes something that he's doing to our audience, providing it's a fit. And we promote something that we're doing to his audience, providing it's a fit. So quite typically um, from his audience, uh, sorry, from our audience um, for what he's doing, last year we made about 10,000 US dollars. So, you know, it's not huge bucks, but it was really good for us um, because our audience is a lot smaller than his audience. And typically from promoting to his audience, we make about 20,000 bucks. So this is a, a $30,000 strategic partnership, US dollar strategic partnership, put it in RAND, NZD, Singaporean dollars, depends on where you're listening from, you know, euros if you're in Ireland, et cetera, et cetera. But we know that Davin has our audience. Now he runs an outsourcing company. We're not in competition with him. He's not offering mentorship or something like the octopus. He's not offering um, global business intelligence or anything like that. In fact, he's helping you do your stuff. 
So he's got researchers, salespeople, you know, call centers, all that sort of stuff, all the sort of things that outsourcers have got. That's what he's got. So there's no, uh, there's no combating there. So he's a great, him and Liz and Penny are great um, alliances of ours. We love them dearly. They're really close personal friends, which after you've worked with people like this for a while, um, you know, that's what they become. We first met them actually on a cruise in, in the Caribbean uh, around about five, six years ago now. So that's how these develop. So your question you want to focus on is who already has your audience? And I'm not talking for most of you who's got five or six people that you can talk to, who's got hundreds of people that you could talk to, or maybe thousands is a best, better answer. Because the, the answer is in the math. So I wanted to show you, like there's Davin, he's DM there, 200,000 people basically on his list. So he's got a couple of hundred thousand small businesses on his list. And number one partner um, has 400,000 people on their list. And number two partner has a quarter of a million people on their list. So that's what 850,000 people that we're getting promoted to just through three partners. And I wanted to use this photo because this is us in San Jose um, having dinner with, uh, with Andy and Nancy, two really good friends of ours. I chat with Andy regularly. Um, Andy is, is one of the founders of MTV. So um, he was literally the, um, at 17, he was the offsider to a guy called Walter Cronkite, who was the David Letterman of his day. And Andy ran around and got him his cigars and whiskey before he got on TV. And he pitched Walter Cronkite the concept of MTV. Walter loved it, introduced him to some people in MTV, became MTV. Andy had two partners in it. He's one of three, three of the founders. He's in his late 60s now. And um, in, back in 2010, I've known Andy for going on 15 years, but back in 2010, I was able to license our film, our feature film to his media company, and that got our film shown in 500 million houses around the world for a period of two years that that happened. So that gave us incredible exposure, um, really helped me build my list, um, helped bring in all sorts of things, helped us launch our travel company and all those types of things came from that one partnership. And that one partnership with Andy, which is, he's still keen to do stuff with us today. In fact, we were going to do a partnership on something, but then COVID came and knocked out what we we're going to do. But we're, our partnerships now and mainly in the charitable space, but that one partnership leveraged so much and so many connections in my world. So I want to share that one with you because the answer is in the math. And the way Landy and I look at it is we really, we have a key figure, the figure's a million. And we say, if we can get partners to promote us to a million people and our top three, you know, basically cover that off in a year, um, then everything else than that is just going to fall into place. So for instance, through our number one partner there, I mean, they drive around about 60 to $80,000 worth of income for us and did last year. So, you know, if you look at those numbers in terms of, that's gonna pay, basically our three partners pay all of our business expenses. So, you know, that's when, sometimes when people ask us, where do we make our money? We make a lot of our money through partnerships. So it's not necessarily these big numbers that drive big numbers for us, but they pay the bills and they're easy to do business with. So for instance, with the top two there that you see there, both of those have filmed bespoke programs for their audience that goes out to their audience. And 
Uh, one of them's a, a pay per click on a video. And uh, so we get paid per click. And the other one's literally an annual license where we've li licensed our intellectual property on an annual basis to them. Um, and that'll come to an end next year. So hopefully we can go back and, and film another program for them. So I want to share with you the answer is definitely in the math. So now I want to give you a case study and then I'm going to break from the presentation and get into, um, get into questions. So many of you know we have a magazine, Lead Magazine. This is the most recent edition of Lead Magazine. So um, for many years, I wanted to have a magazine. And the reason why I wanted to have a magazine was not to be in the magazine business, but was to be in the authority business. So having a magazine gives you lots of authority because, of course, at the very least, you're interviewing people for the magazine and, and connecting with people. And, and those people want to be in the magazine. And then that creates conversations and so on and so forth. I'm sure you can see how having a magazine could be a benefit. But we didn't want to have a lousy magazine. We wanted to have a, uh, a prime high-end magazine with great leaders in it. And one of the other reasons we wanted to have it is because, you know, every single person on this call is fantastic in their own right. But many of you don't actually get to meet each other unless you come to our Bali Business School because you live in different countries. And sure, you can meet in these environments. And honestly, when you see the same people turning up on these uh, things like, you know, Angela's here, Heather's here, Philippe's here, I saw him check in, Ian, et cetera, you know, maybe you should look at some of these names and then connect with them offline through, through, our, through our, um, our portals. And that way, start to build relationships across cultures. That would be the, the sensible thing to do. You never know, the right partner for you may be actually sitting on this call. So once we had Lead Magazine for the first year, Landy essentially ran Lead Magazine. She collected all the articles. She was the editor-in-chief. Um, I sat behind it and said, we need to get this person. We need to put this person on the cover, that type of thing. Between us, we came up with it. Landy did the work. In, in the second year, that work went across to Nicola and Landy supervised the work. So Nicola did all the work. Nicola's on the call. She knows how much work was in Lead Magazine. So then once, by the time we'd finished this magazine, we're now moving into third year, um, now, um, we've now met with, through our connections, a magazine company who, guess what, has the scope and potential, but is not in the, the type of magazines that we're in. They're in the lower end magazines and they want a premium magazine. We've got a track record and we've got something they don't have, and that is reach. And I'm not talking about reach in terms of subscribers. I'm talking about reach in terms of the type of people that um, a stories are worthwhile putting on the cover of a magazine. And so they approached us and that was great. And Landy said, let's have some talks. So we're now on a date. And our date is that the next lead magazine is going to be produced by them and their team. It's full time. They're going to start working on it essentially after Easter. So we now technically have three extra staff, but we're not paying them. They've been paid for by um, the other magazine company. We're going to do one magazine which uh, hopefully will be out by the end of the year. And uh, then that will free up our time to work on financial modeling on the magazine to get it much more um, financially viable than it is now. It's sort of on a cost neutral. I think we make money out of the magazine, but not in terms of sales or advertising or anything like that. We make money because the magazine opens doors for us and gives us an opportunity to talk to people who end up becoming clients of ours and build relationships. And one of those people that we've built an incredible relationship has been in 
uh, not this magazine, I think the one before it, Nick Nanton, uh, nine times Emmy award-winning producer, a lawyer from Florida and a close personal friend these days that we're doing some uh, partnerships with as well with him. So at the moment, if you looked at the world of Mike and Landy, we're probably, um, and actually if you went into our bathroom, you'd see uh, Landy stuck a, a, a something on the, on the mirror there and it's the four Ps that she wants to focus on in 2021. And the first P is partnership. So I think we have a lot of partnerships. We have another 50% partnership that none of you know about um, in a new construction company um, in South Africa as well, based on a business model that I have. And we're currently moving into the date phase with those, with those partners as well. That'll be a, a two-year deal before we go into the full phase of that. So partnerships, um, partnerships, partnerships. So let's drop onto the, um, let's drop out of the, the, the screen share now and let's go to questions that anybody would like to ask on partnerships. Um, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna just change my view on my screen. I'm gonna go to gallery view because there's a lot of you on the call today. And um, then uh, just uh, stick your hand up and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, unmute yourself and let's go to questions. So I can see everybody here. I can see that Gas, uh, Gas not on photo. Um, who would like to ask what? There's Garth. Hi, Garth. Is that a wave or would you like to ask something? If you would like to ask something, unmute. It was a wave, but I think um, from what you said last week, I think it really applies here too, that you go into these partnership with how can you help somebody with the questions that keep them awake at night? Uh, thank you for putting that so bluntly, and you're absolutely right. I mean, um, uh, the construction company, for instance, uh, you know, uh, and I'll tell you guys the story because, I mean, good luck stealing our idea. But, um, you know, I was heavily involved in a company in New Zealand, Garth, called David Reed Homes, which became um, probably the premier privately owned building company in New Zealand um, prior to 2010. Um, it was all sold to in 2008. So it's not the same owners. David Reed's got nothing to do with it these days, neither of the other owners. But through that, I understand the group building model. The group building model doesn't exist in, in South Africa in the way it does in New Zealand. And there's a real niche in the market for that. And so, um, so from that aspect, uh, we identified through social connections, some people who have a mum and dad building company, but they're really smart, really good builders. And we have the whole group building model that we understand. I know backwards and uh, I know how to build it because I've built it before and it turned into a $200 million company. So um, we literally approached them and said, hey, I've got an idea for you. Um, do you. Do you guys want to build more than 12 houses a year? And they were like, absolutely. We'd like to build 100. So sure. Um, so we just pitched them the idea. Took three, three times, three official pitches before they actually got it because it's just so different to how many things are done in South Africa. Now they've got it, they want to stream ahead with it. So it's really finding solutions to problems in some places, Garth, that people don't think that they've even got. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have got glass ceilings in their business. So, and this would be an example where these people have got, um, they've got a nice business that earns some good money, they're doing very well, but it's a glass ceiling unless they want to put on 20 extra staff, which they just don't want to manage. And he's not a manager of 20 staff. They can't grow it past where they are now. So a lot of people have that, but you and I, we have solutions for that in what we're doing. Okay, next question. Anybody else? 
Yes, Bruce, hi. I was so happy, uh, Bruce, when you and Garth joined the call and then Ian and Philippe joined afterwards because I was sitting here with all, all females on the call, you know, and I thought I'm going to get really sticky questions that then, then we sort of balanced it up a bit. Well, let's, 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 let's look at some, some, some of the legal things. I've got to have a microphone. There we go. Um, just, just understanding the, the legalities of working overseas. You've got this kind of, you know, global sort of thing there. If you, if you have license agreements from South Africa into other places, and you, you know we're going into Asia with, with one thing, um, how, what are the kind of rule of thumbs for covering yourself as far as liability and comeback and non-payment and things like that? How do you handle those? Um, there's only one way in which you should do it, and that's under the laws of the country in which uh, the, the head office is domiciled. So in your case, South Africa. Um, all of our license agreements are all New Zealand. They're all New Zealand, under New Zealand law. So, um, so even though our Asian partners, our European partners have signed those agreements, if there's ever a dispute or problem, it's all based on New Zealand law. Um, does that mean that it could be hard to prosecute sometimes? Maybe, but that depends on the country. If you're in the Czech Republic, it may be hard to, to prosecute, but if you're under British law, not necessarily. And even South Africa has a large aspect of British law. Um, when you're creating a company, um, with internationals. So for instance, the company that we're, I've got the deal on the table with, we're registering that company in London. So that's going to be an English company, but no, not one of the directors resides in the UK. Um, two of them are South African. Um, there's, well, three of them are South African, if you include Landy, and then there's the Kiwi. So, um, so, but all of it's going to be in London. And we're also, we're looking at Ireland as well as a, another place to register the company. Um, worldwide business intelligence, our company is registered in London. And uh, so, you know, and there's no, no directors. All of the directors and shareholders sit in South Africa, New Zealand, India, and, and Malaysia for that company. So I don't think it matters it, at, at all. Um, sometimes it'll be a problem. Sometimes it'll be a lengthy legal process, but that's not, you don't build businesses um, to, uh, to worry about legal costs. You build businesses to, to, to do it simply and effectively and have it the right thing. And why London? Because when we want to sell the company, um, if you have a British business, it's taken very, very seriously by investors. If you have a South African business, it's not taken so seriously by investors unless they sit in South Africa. And on a global business, they probably won't. Great question. Next question. Thanks. Hi, JC, how are you? I'm good, Mike, how are you? Great, thanks. Um, <laughs> My, uh, I have been um, actively uh, doing partnership. I'm in the middle of doing partnerships. Four years ago, I did a partnership. As you said, top three, you know, you're going to have three who have um, so much of X number of um, audience and they can simply promote you. And I did four years ago. And um, unfortunately, what I did, I did exclusive um kind of partnership. So I wasn't being allowed or it was like, okay, all the business will be done by me and all the marketing will be done by them, sort of. Um, four years down the track, it's, the, it's not working anymore. So I have changed my model. I'm into, um, right now I'm in the middle of recruiting 200 agents 
for my company. And these are not employees, these are agents. Like if you take a school, international school, and they have agents to recruit international students. Sure. So that's the same model I am working on as against just having three or four or five, um, you know, the top people. Do you think that there is something I really need to be um, aware of before or after? Because I'm giving them training. Um, the training will be there and proper, um, proper agreements will be there. But is there sure. something that I really need to be, um, because this is new for me. And so, you have been into this business for some time. So is there something I should be worried about uh, for this model instead of top four or five, I'm doing 200 agents? Um, no, we, we, have, we have sales agents that? as well. So no, we have sales agents as well. So he, here's the top four or five tips for you if you want to go the agency route in terms of partners. Number one, you live in New Zealand, so you have to make sure that... Um, you comply with the law. So if they're, if they're only working for you or most of their works for you, you're going to have to pay PAYE or withholding yeah. tax for them, right? So that's number one, because uh, the law will assume that they're employed by you. So that yeah. means when you come to fire them and everything, you've got to go through the, the, all the appropriate measures. So that's number one. Um, number two is you want to make sure that on your contract with them, that the ownership of intellectual property rights and a restraint of trade is within the contract, okay? Um, so that you own the intellectual property and, it, it, you know, if somebody's going to go set up and do the exact copy what you're doing, that you can restrict them or at least you can scare them. Um, so yeah. that means that you definitely must have some trademarks and things like that. Um, number three, uh, their, their agency agreement has got to be performance-based. So it has to be a performance target. And, uh, you know, what we do, we prefer license agreements. So, for instance... Um, License agreements have an end date. So if it's a big license agreement, it's five years. Same with a franchise agreement. They roll over every five years. So it means that, you know, with your business partner you've had over the last four years, if you had a five-year agreement, you could get out next year. Um, the, but if it's a smaller license, it's a revolving one-year license providing they hit certain targets. So if they haven't hit the target, it becomes easy to manage them out. So they'd be the probably the top three things that I'd put in, in there. And then... Um, and, you know, make sure a lawyer that, who knows what they're doing in employment law. Um, we've got a client, Viv Dior, based in Wellington. That's what she does, um, D-O-R, D-O-R. Um, and, uh, you know, you can run that by her and uh, she'll check that for you and let you know if you've missed anything else. So what's okay? her name? Viv, V-I-V, and her surname yeah. is D-O-R. So D hyphen or D apostrophe or O-R. So you know, you'll, you'll, you'll find her through, uh, through one of our networks or on Facebook or something, LinkedIn or something like that. But she is a specialist in doing exactly what you need at the moment, okay? And you can just mention Lundy and myself and, and she'll help you out. Um, Angela, does your cat want to ask a question? No, I'm only kidding. Any, any other questions? So let me ask you guys a question just to, to, to sort of bring this to a natural conclusion today. And uh, that is, um, what have you, what's, if you could put this in the chat, this would be great for me. What's the one thing that you've learned about partnerships today or been reminded of um, that's going to help you going forward? The cat wants feeding. Thanks. 
So drop it in the chat for me. What's the one thing to actually just do it? That, well, Diane, that's exactly it. Yep. It's all about the audience and the leverage. Great. Leverage, intellectual property clause, naturally. Um, okay. I can't tell you, as more of these are coming in, I can't tell you how good partnerships are, but a lot of people get scared off because they had something go wrong with a partner. And, you know, um, those of you that have been around uh, around my world for a long time know that I had a business partner for 10 years who's no longer my business partner. I mean, it doesn't mean to say I don't love him, um, but no longer my business partner. So, you know, it's sort of like, it's like marriage and dating, you know, just because one doesn't work out doesn't mean you never go on another date in your life. So you know, that would be just a silly thing. And if you meet as somebody else, another significant other, you know, why not enter into a long-term relationship? I mean, both Landy and I've been married before, so, but it didn't stop us, you know, throwing 100% of ourselves at each other. So it shouldn't stop you in business as well. Now, it doesn't mean to say that you don't have to learn to trust people. That's why you have the dating engagement before marriage thing, where so many entrepreneurs just jump straight into marriage and when, with business partners. Yeah, we can do this. Oh, quick, let's sign some agreements. Oh, great, we're now doing this. And, you know, um, Sarah, you know, you know, you've had a business partner and I've been a little critical of your business partner because I think you've got twice the value that... that bringing to the partnership that you have. So it doesn't mean to say that you should get rid of them, but maybe you have to renegotiate as well when, when partners lose energy. Let's see what else we've got here um, that people are saying. Uh, be clear on the type of partner you want and the mutual benefit. Absolutely. Thanks, Paula. Um, uh, Mike, is a partner useful that does the same thing you do? Absolutely. Yes, because they might target a slightly different audience. So... Um, you know, for those of you that don't know Sarah, she runs a publishing company and she's a book mentor. So uh, a lot of her revenue comes through people who want to write books. But I mean, you know, you're really working with people who are wanting to write sort of inspirational leadership nonfiction style books. But why couldn't you partner with somebody who wants to write more technical books or more novels, right? So that could be a really interesting and fascinating partnership and could make sense. Um, I've done very, very well out of partnering with other speakers, definitely. But, um, but it really depends on who it is and that the energy's got to be right. For instance, you know, you'll never see me on a stage with a JT Fox or a Tony Robbins. I'm not interested in their brand for two very different reasons. Um, one I just think is overcooked and the other one's just, well, they should be in jail. But anyway, that's the other thing. So... Don't enter into a business with people who necessarily do what you do just because they've got a bigger audience than you. Look at what their value system is. Um, Melanie, uh, leverage so much easier than doing it on your own. Absolutely. Date, engagement, marriage. Well done, Ian. And it is a process, Melanie. You're quite right. It's definitely a process. And start small. You know, if you can do a small project with somebody, the date thing should be an event, um, something you do for a month, um, maybe it's, uh, you know, you write a book together, maybe you, um, they, they bring some people to your next product launch and so on and so forth. That'll give you a feel for how they operate. You want to get really get a feel for how people operate and particularly when they're under stress and pressure. So, you know, whether they're, you know, still good natures or whether they become like a dark, scary monster under pressure. And, you know, you'll see a lot of people do that in partnerships that otherwise seem really well as well. 
see whether they're the alpha, whether they're the beta, or whether they're on the same basis with you. And also, what's also interesting to see how you turn up in that partnership as well, whether you become that big scary beast, whether you become that ridiculous alpha, or whether you just want to do your part of it, or whether you want to control everything. That's also important. Any final questions before we jump off for today? I'll take that as a no. Lovely to see the old faces. Lovely to see a couple of new faces as well. So bye-bye to everybody. Uh, enjoy your evening if you're in New Zealand and Australia. Enjoy your morning if you're in Europe. Catch you around.